Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's a weekly show about politics. I'm Marco Smolitzis. I'm here with Kerry Alabeld. And we are kind of riding high, Kerry, because last week when we talked, it was before the Wisconsin Supreme Court election. And we were cautiously optimistic that Democrats would be doing well. And not only did they do well, but the Democrats won the seat by, I think we're at 11 points, 11, 12 points. It was a blowout. It was a blowout yes. in the kind of election that traditionally has hurt Democrats because it, it was in the middle of what, uh, April, at the beginning of April, uh, not a typical election season. Yet we saw incredible turnout from Democratic constituencies, including the youth vote. And it has triggered, Carrie, a bit of weird soul searching amongst Republicans. They're finally starting to They're finally Quit starting it. to realize that maybe they have an electoral problem. And so to talk <laughs> to you know to join us to talk about this, because this is the best topic. It is so much fun. Uh, I love I love when we get to talk about Republican think- problems. I think yeah. we should say, too, that the, the timing, I'm pretty sure the timing of the uh, of the election was not by accident. That was set by the Republican legislature, the Republican lawmakers, because they figured it would be low turnout if it was in this like random time. You know, so I think there was some element of them trying to sort of, you know, rig it in their favor and then just completely coming up short. OK, no, I, I will not interrupt you anymore. No, so I actually I think we should bring our guest on from the very top to talk about this because he's been one of the uh, most prominent uh, commentators on Republican challenges. This you know from the last election cycle, he's Simon Rosenberg. He's a longtime friend. He's been a multi you know he's been on the show a couple of times. He was formerly the uh, the president of the New Democrat Network. Now he is, and he's been at the Democratic. Uh, Congressional Campaign Committee, a bunch of party committees. Now he is on Substack. He is, uh, you can find him at Hopium Chronicles with Simon Rosenberg. And guys, it's good. It's good. If you enjoyed Simon talking about Republican, uh, um, the likelihood of a Democratic victory in the 2022 midterm election, when everybody else said it was going to be a red wave. And Simon was one of the very few, Simon Rosenberg, uh, Joe Trippi, you know, he was Howard Dean's former campaign manager, Carrie and I, Daily Coast. We were a tiny, tiny group of people. And Simon was the foremost person pushing back against that on Twitter and with the national political press. And uh, so his stuff is freaking awesome. Simon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Marcus. It's sort of old-fashioned blogging all over again. It's been fun. <laughs> Back to the future. It really yeah. is. And and so the reason we wanted Simon on, I mean, one is to celebrate the fact that we won this this yeah. um, Supreme Court in 50-50 Wisconsin, and it wasn't even close. But he is he's starting to talk about something that that is so simple. Um, that it's a wonder that nobody else has talked about this. And and his sort of premise is that Democrats have gotten really good at winning 51% of the vote. And we've done that in multiple election cycles now in a row, in presidential elections and in swing states, key swing states. His whole brand new idea, which again, should not be that groundbreaking, but his idea is that but why is. don't we go from 51% to 55%? Whoa! So, <laughs> Simon, why isn't this sort of conventional wisdom? Well, I mean, there are a couple pieces of this, right? So, first of all, from 1992 to 2004, we averaged 47% in those four presidential elections around the time that we met, Marcos, a long time ago. 
And as you remember, I did a lot of work, as did you and others, to say, hey, there's this new coalition coming for Democrats full of Hispanics and millennials, and that if we run into that coalition, we can expand our vote and get stronger. And in the last four elections, since we did that together, starting in the 2005-2006 cycle, we've averaged 51%. So we jumped four points. And now I think we have to sort of go through a similar process again, where we think about jumping another four points, getting up to 55 and really trying to not just win the election, but break the back of MAGA, right? to beat them so badly that we start to loosen their dark grip on the Republican Party. So this is not just a, a partisan thing. This is a pro-democracy thing, right? Because we need to not feel every election that if we stumble, our democracy could be gone. We need to get to a place where the threat of MAGA has been diminished. And I think the only way we're going to do that is by really crushing them in the election. And so I wrote this piece of about a month ago and saying, you know, our goal now should be to get to 55, to look at four groups, but there could be more. I'm just putting out an initial four groups, um, younger voters, Hispanics, where we lost a little bit of ground, which we need to gain back. Um, never MAGA, never Trumpers, you know, Republicans who've been untethered from their party. And also then finally, um, uh, people affected by the politics of abortion. And, and I say people because I think it's both men and women and I think we just don't know yet the true promise of what we can do with the abortion issue. I think we have an inkling, as we saw in, in, in Wisconsin and we saw in Michigan and we've seen in Kansas. But I think there's more to that issue. So the premise here is that we should be working now to grow our vote, not you know, to expand, to go on offense, to, to expand demographically and geographically uh, and take more real estate because they've abandoned so much real estate by their, their lurch to the right that we shouldn't just accept a normal electoral victory. We should go for something really big. And that's the premise. And it's on my Substack. I wrote the original memo called Get to 55 is the is the idea behind it. Let me just say why I love this so much. Um, I mean, number one, I love anything that's aspirational, right? <laughs> I love anything where you're actually setting a goal and going towards it rather than be reactive. Like this is what I always strive to do in my writing, my body of writing. You can't do it in every piece, but in your bot, in my body of writing, what I'm hoping to do is to help people how they view news in election cycle, um, how they how they can help shape the news in an election cycle, right? Or uh, or in a news cycle, um, so that you know they're not reacting to the news; they start to get into a pattern of how they the lens through which they see the news, and then they can talk about the news to their friends, to their yep. relatives, etc. That's one thing. The other thing is um, this idea of saving democracy. What the what Republicans have proven is they're not going to let go of Donald Trump just because they lose one time, two times, three times. That's not going to be enough. We've got to actually crush the MAGA movement. We've actually got to probably destroy the Republican Party so that something else can arise. I'm not saying we're you know, destroying a conservative, a, a legitimate conservative pro-democracy movement forever. But the Republican Party is not a legitimate conservative pro-democracy movement. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, it's anti-democracy and they're not going to let go of Trump. They've had the chance over and over again to do it. And they keep on not having the guts, not having to wear the wherewithal, not having the strategy, not being cohesive enough to do it. And so, you know, we've basically have to join together to destroy that party until someone can, 
can you know some other version of it can arise regardless of what that version is called yeah carrie i mean the, the hope we have right is that after now you know all that political commentary marcos that you mentioned last cycle the premise of it was hey you know they had just lost two elections in a row and usually when a party gets beat twice in a row they run away from the politics that failed. The Republicans ran towards it, right? And so what I argued was that we were probably going to do better in the election than people anticipated because, you know, they there was an anti-MAGA majority and the anti-MAGA majority had voted in very large numbers in two consecutive elections against them. And instead of running away from that, they ran towards it and it was going to limit their potential gains in the election. Well, the same thing is happening in this election again because, you know, DeSantis looked at Trump, looked at the electorate that we're seeing, saw the huge gains that we had in the battleground states. I mean, remember, we didn't just hold our own in the battleground. We gained ground in Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, Minnesota, Michigan, um, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania. Incredible performance, right? So Ron DeSantis looks at all that and says, you know, I'm going to run to Trump's right. I'm going to be just as MAGA as Trump. And so now, to your point, Kerry, it's not just Trump. It's now the whole party is escalating. You're seeing the escalation in Nashville. You're seeing, you know, wild legislation in Texas and Florida. And I think that voters understand that something's gone wrong with Republicans. They've gone too far. Even Bob Iger from Disney took this incredible shot at DeSantis. He didn't just dissent from DeSantis. He took a shot at him, right? The head of Disney. Does Ron DeSantis think he's going to get elected president by taking on Mickey Mouse? It's sort of the craziest thing ever, right? And so they are becoming more extreme, more captive to their extremist bubble, and they're abandoning real estate. And we would be reckless and irresponsible if we didn't try to claim back some of that territory that they're giving us right now through their extremism. So I'm very optimistic. And I'll tell you that after Wisconsin, which was an enormous victory, we got to 55, which is that number I'm hoping that we get to. We've got an election in Jacksonville, Florida on May 16th. Republican, largest city in Florida, held by a Republican mayor. It's currently a Republican seat. The guy who's running as a Republican is a big DeSantis ally, you know, part of the old boys club. Got a incredibly talented uh, Democratic candidate running named Donna Deegan. If we go into the home of DeSantis and Trump and flip the largest city in Florida, that's the way we have to be thinking now. We have to go get new stuff, expand our coalition geographically and demographically um, and and go on offense here because they're, they're giving it to us, as we just saw in Wisconsin. And if we don't take it, shame on us because it's it's what we need to do now. But it requires, Carrie, to your point, a different way of thinking, right? It's about, you know, man on the moon, right? We got to get to 55. I've laid out some ideas of how we get there. And also just one last point on this is that one of the, the most concrete thing I'm proposing in this memo is the idea of launching a national youth voter registration campaign this summer. Um, you know, it is not okay for us that the people who are most democratic vote the least. We've got to get young people's participation in our elections up. If we can do that alone, as I lay out in my memo, if we just get under 45-year-old voters to be voting at their population distribution, right, not at something crazy, then we'll win the next election by 10 points. We'll get to 55 just by doing that one thing. But there's more that we can do. So um, I think that we, this is a mindset change, right, that we were defensive in a defensive crouch last cycle. We weren't playing offense. Now we got to go on offense. I think you feel it in the family. I think we're getting there together. Um, and I'm excited about what we can do together in the next year and a half. 
So Kerry likes your 55 plan, 55% plan because it's aspirational and because it, it seeks to destroy a destructive force uh, in our democracy. Yep. I'll tell you why I like it. Well, the American I Taliban, like Marcos, right? I mean, you're... <laughs> yes. yes, yes. You're the one who coined this a long time ago. You know, I like it because of math. Right. When you're talking about winning by 51, you're looking at a 51, 49 percent. Obviously, it doesn't, you know, it's a libertarians and whatever. But yeah. you're it. The elections are so close that any sort of fluke movement like, you know, uh, Comey announcing a new investigation in Hillary Clinton's emails. Yeah. All you got to do is move those numbers one or two points and then you suddenly you've reversed it. Right. You're now on the bad end of that 51 49 percent now from 51 to 55 you're thinking oh it's just just you know it's just four points right but that's the difference between winning by two and winning by 10 and then we have elections like we had in wisconsin um last week where there was no drama we just saw early numbers come in we knew they looked good and we could just celebrate the entire night away as opposed to wondering are there any late ballots coming in (laughs) in milwaukee that'll bail us out because you know what I don't really want to go through what we went through in 2016 in Wisconsin or even 2020 when I was up at 3 a.m. in California uh, looking at those late precincts coming in from Milwaukee, barely putting Biden over uh, because it looked for a while that, oh, my God, is is Trump going to win again? I don't want that. I want to, you know, I want an early night, Simon. And so 50 vibe gives us. Clearly, it makes it easier and it gives us that cushion. And you've written, Simon, that that we're already hitting 55 in a lot of our battleground states. I want to. Can I talk about that? Because I think this is really important because this is why this is not pie in the sky. Right. It's not pie in the sky because we already through strategy and investment jumped from 47 to 51. So we've already jumped four points. We did this already. Right. This was not an accident that we ended up at the coalition that we have now. But in this last election, which was supposed to be a bad election for us, red wave election, we got to 59 in Colorado, 57 in Pennsylvania, 55 in Michigan, 54 in New Hampshire, 52 in New Mexico, 51 and a half in Georgia, 51 and a half in Arizona, 51.2 in Wisconsin. So, you know, we're, we're already in the 50s, right? I mean, one thing to keep in mind for your audience is that the Democratic Party is now the majority party in America. We've been winning more than 50% of the vote regularly. We haven't done that since the 1940s. It's been 80 years since we've had this kind of regular performance. And we were up in the 50s in all these battleground states that are really these consequential states where we had this sort of, you know, incredible struggle with the Republicans. And so when you're the Republicans, the reason you're hearing, as you said in your introduction, that they're expressing a lot of fear and worry right now is that for us to have gotten up to 55% in Michigan and 57 in Pennsylvania in a bad year is scary stuff for them. And it's why I think we've had, we've had the debate about MAGA in the battlegrounds and MAGA's lost and their two leading candidates are all MAGA. And I just will tell you, you know, in every bone in my body, I'd rather be us than them heading into 2024. I think Ron DeSantis has made some of the most extraordinary political misjudgments that I've ever seen a major candidate make. And it's not just on the six-week abortion ban. I mean, Marcos, one of the things you should do is do a segment on his immigration proposals that are going to probably get voted in. It's the most extreme anti-immigrant legislation in modern American history. And it's barely cracked because he's doing so many other crazy things. It's barely cracked the you know through the news. But he's 
chosen rather than being Kemp in Georgia or being DeWine, he chose to be Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, what an idiot, right? And they just misread the room. They misread the election. And I think he's now not only tanking in the primary, he's made himself unelectable in the general. He can't win a presidential election on a six-week abortion ban. He just can't do it. And I don't. I, it's just amazing what a train wreck Ron DeSantis' campaign has become. It's a it's a it, uh, a very classic um, historical battle or historical war mistake, which is to fight the last war or the last election cycle, yeah. and that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, so let me just you know I, I want to say just to build on your point, like if you look at Michigan too, and I'm from Michigan, so there's a special place in my heart for it. But you know, 55 in Michigan, which is exactly what you're talking yeah. about, and look at what that you know that that state now because because and we cannot forget this, they undid the gerrymandering. Right. They they had an independent commission redraw the districts to make them fair. And now Democrats control the executive and both chambers uh, of of the um, of the legislature. And now you're getting, you know, pro LGBTQ uh, stuff through. You're getting pro union stuff through. You're getting you know, you're getting all kinds of really good, really powerful pro democracy, pro small, I mean, pro big D Democrat stuff through. It's not like, you know, oh, we're trying to like work around the edges. And that's what Wisconsin, that's what the Wisconsin Republicans, I'm sure, are so afraid of right now. Um, You know, now that they don't have control anymore of the Supreme Court and this idea that potentially they could be the next Michigan if the state, if the if the gerrymander maps were made more fair. Um, but yeah. let me just re- read this. The, the, the yeah. court is the court is is likely to overturn the gerrymandering in Wisconsin, which is probably the most aggressive in the entire country. I, so, I think yeah. it is the most aggressive in the whole country. It's the most undemocratic state in America today, with North Carolina being a close close behind, by the way. Yeah. And and Republicans know now that they can't win a lot of these states if they don't rig them through gerrymandering. They they do not have popular opinions. They do not push a popular agenda. Democrats do. And that's showing whenever we're giving given, even in the battlegrounds, a fair shot. Right. Um, But, you know, to your point about some Republicans waking up to this and being fearful, being just downright scared. You know, there's there's this quote that I read in The New York Times from Nancy Representative Nancy Mace in South in South Carolina. (laughs) Right. And she's she's kind of, you know, she's she's not she's not very MAGA. I mean, she's you know, she's bowed to Trump a little bit because everybody seems to think they have to. But um, she's she's a, you know, sort of a semi reality based Republican. Right. And she's quoted in The New York Times um, on an abortion, a piece about abortion, saying, if we can just show that we care just a little bit that we have some compassion, that we can we can show the country our policies are reasonable. But because we keep going down these rabbit holes of extremism, we're just going to keep losing. And I have to say, just the idea that she's setting this very low bar for the Republican Party. A little um, bit. If, if we could just show that we care just a little bit, just tiny a little bit. bit, that we have just a, a, a tiny sense of compassion and decency, maybe we can win some a smidge, not too much a tad. Just a sprinkling, <laughs> a sprinkling. Um, maybe we can win some elections. I mean, that is just such a low bar. And, uh, you know, as our front pager, Laura Clausen, who wrote about it, no, you know, noted like 
That's a low bar that even the Republican Party still can't get over. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Anyway. Yeah. Listen, I, th- I think that the, for your, your audience here is that we need to sort of reset our heads a little bit. Joe Biden has been a good president. The country is better off. The Democratic Party is strong, right? They're weak and divided. They're a reckless, you know, they're a wrecking ball through American society. And we have to flip the kind of, you know, the red wavy kind of narrative of American politics that we're the weak party, we're the divided party, all these things. It's the exact opposite of all that. And we have to live, you know, take the win, live in this place of strength because strength allows you to expand and grow bigger, right? And, you know, we are living in a time of unprecedented resources. Our grassroots who are scared of MAGA are giving our candidates and our party committees unprecedented amounts of money. And we have to have an expansion mindset, a a mindset of of abundance and not scarcity uh, in the way that we approach our politics. And I think that's hard for Democrats, right? We are always being outspent and they're much bigger and they're meaner and all those things, but it's not it's not true anymore. It's changed. I mean, in many of these races, our candidates outraise Republicans by four to five to one. That's never happened before in modern American politics. And so, you know, it's a mindset change. It's a good, you know, it's JFK. It's a man on the moon. Like we just got to go there. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to get there, but you know, we, we have to try and we have to try because it's, the right thing for the country. And frankly, it's the right thing for the Republican Party. I mean, there are lots of Republicans that I think, and we know this, right? All the Never Trumpers, Never MAGA, Bill Kristol, you know, Reed Galen, all these folks, they're working cooperatively with us to bring this about. It's why I'm so optimistic is that I think that the Never MAGA, Never Trumper wing of the, of the former Republicans that they consider themselves to be, that wing is growing. There's permission structure being created for more people to join that movement. We need that movement to be very strong and to be, in, in essence, a, a coalition with us, as if we were in a parliamentary democracy. You know, their their narrow party, you know, with 5%, 8% of the vote would have joined us. Liz Cheney would have gone into the government, right, and been a cabinet official. And we have to create that kind of virtual alliance. It doesn't really happen in our system, right, of government but we need to do it in practice because we need them on board. And at some point, a center-right party will reemerge and they'll fold back into that party. But for now, there are allies in this fight, and in you know, and thank God they are. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very bullish and optimistic right now. I think what happened in Wisconsin was incredible, and I want to say for your audience again, I'm sorry if I'm gone on too long here, but. This is happening because of everyone who's listening and watching today. It's happening because regular Americans, proud patriots have gotten up and they're making their phone calls, they're doing their texting, they're writing their postcards, they're giving money. Because of this remote technology now, you can be living in the Bay Area and making calls into Wisconsin or into Jacksonville, Florida. And the American people are what's blocking MAGA. It's this incredible passion and patriotism that we're seeing, this love of country that's imbued into our system. And so people ask me, like, why aren't we seeing the kind of protests we're seeing in Israel? We're seeing it through the elections. That's where our protest has been. And and it's very exciting. I mean, I just think this is a time where if we can get to the other side, I think we'll have strengthened American democracy in very powerful ways. But it's why we have to win, right? We have no choice. 
Yeah, we had several tens of thousands. I don't remember the exact number, uh, 20 to 30,000 Daily Coast readers that were actually making phone calls uh, remotely into Wisconsin, helping the Democratic That's effort. So incredible. it's definitely it's it's the you know, the conservative movement never rested. They spent 50 years undermining abortion to the point where they finally won. And uh, we had this sort of mentality where the presidency was everything. Oh, you know, it's Bernie Sanders or it's Howard Dean or and and then once, you know, we'd win the White House, it was like mission accomplished, you know, shake our hands and then walk away and, and chill. And, and the other side never stopped organizing, win or lose. And now we're finally at that place where, you know, Joe Biden won and nobody said mission accomplished, we're done, clearly. And then last year really underscored that point in a way that I think shook up everybody's expectations about politics. Big part of that, obviously, is abortion. And, and you know, Carrie and I were talking about abortion as a definitive issue from the day, uh, from before the leak, even. We knew it was coming. And we, we, when we had our case about why we were going to win the, or at least minimize losses in the, in the midterm election. That was because one is because of abortion and two was because of uh, Donald Trump not getting off the stage, which sort of morphed into democracy, just a general defense of democracy. And it is amazing to me that Republicans have not given up on abortion. They seem to be doubling down. Uh, Rona uh, McDaniel, the, the RNC chair, she said that it's the problem isn't the the issue the problem is their messaging and they keep going back to like the messaging the messaging they don't realize that the message is the problem as the that quote that carrie just read you know it's the message saying saying if we could at least show some compassion but their policies have no compassion they're inherently cruel so do you see any way of them getting out of that trap or are they destined into the sort of death spiral both demographic because like you talk about the youth uh, and, you know, key demographics, you know, suburban voters are turning against them because of those issues um, or, or, you know, they just keep losing, losing, losing in perpetuity for who knows how long. Yeah, listen, I, I think the key thing here is that they are uh, in this. Their party's been overtaken by extremism and extremists. I mean, that's what's happened. And they're not operating really any longer through a traditional political physics, right? I mean, Ron DeSantis, I'll give you an example. In Florida, um, the, his six-week abortion ban is polling at 22%. In Florida, his permitless carry bill is polling at 23%. In Florida, you in only Florida, do those- not nationally, in, in, Florida. No, in Florida. In Florida, right? Um, and so if you pursue, repeatedly pursue policies that are in the 20s and 30s, Knowing that you're going to be alienating a large majority of the, of the public, you know, it show, that's almost a definition of a party that's been overtaken by extremism, right? And it's almost like a textbook definition. And I think it's why what we have to hope is the path forward here is that we beat them in elections. The grip of MAGA gets loosened and something like a more traditional center-right party emerges. The obvious worrisome thing is that they recognize that they're never going to win national elections again. They've only broken 50% of the vote once in the last eight presidential elections. It's the worst popular vote performance and, in and, the history of American politics, right? And a reminder that eight presidential elections, it's over 30 years. It's over, yeah, going back to 1992. And that, you know, we've had the best run at the popular vote level of any political party in American history in the last eight elections. No one's won more votes, seven out of eight times as we have. And, and the obvious 
fear, Marcos, and the thing you were implying, and Kara, you mentioned this earlier, is that they approach this now through a lens of illiberalism, where the only way they can maintain power is through cheating or rigging the rules and essentially trying to create an American apartheid of some kind where, you know, a major a minority is able to, through gaming the system, um, you know, able to ex extract extraordinary control. We've already seen this in North Carolina and Wisconsin. Where, Supreme Court. You know, in, the U.S. Supreme Court is part of that yeah, system. And, and in both of those states, by the way, after Democratic governors won, the legislatures changed what governors could do to basically strip power away from the governor, right? I mean, we're, we're, we're there at this level of gamesmanship here. And, and the question is, does that continue to escalate? And we saw, you know, look, once a political party tries to overthrow an illegitimate election, as it did two years ago, which we just can't forget, they're really capable of doing anything, right? And we shouldn't be surprised by any of these efforts around to maintain power without winning elections, which is, you know, what in essence is the core political strategy of the Republican Party now. Right. The way we counteract that is by what Marco said, is by getting to 55, right? And the election isn't close. It's a definitive outcome. Joe Biden won by four and a half points. There was no way for Trump to claim, you know, that he had been cheated out of the election. And, and, it, and it's our burden now that we're going to have to do that. I mean, it's just what we have to do, given their manipulation, given their games. I mean, remember, Trump not only, you know, led an insurrection, but he you know, game, he tried to screw with the post office. He, he, they actually corrupted the census, right? These are things that are in the constitution. You know, they're, uh, they've touched and tried to break everything. And that's why I'll just say for you and what you decide to do, the two states that we as a nation, as Democrats, pro-democracy people have to help liberate in the next couple of years are Wisconsin and North Carolina, where, you know, we were unable to unravel some of the gerrymandering that had taken place in Pennsylvania and Michigan. But the two places where the, an extremist group has unchecked power, in essence, now are in Wisconsin, you know, in Wisconsin and North Carolina. And that's why that victory was so significant. And it's why, to me, the most important expansion state for the Democrats in 2024 is North Carolina. We have to make that a major priority. I'm going to be doing a lot of work there. And uh, I think we can do there what we did in Virginia and in Georgia and in Arizona. But we got to put in the work and we've got to do the, you know, the, the registration, change the electorate, get more of our voters to vote and to help liberate uh, a state that's, you know, been over, you know, where the legislature now is a supermajority uh, in the House and Senate in a in a state that's a 50-50 state. It's just crazy. Let me just, you know, I want to um, go back to, um, God, I love this conversation. Anyway, um, let me just recap everything we've said. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to uh, just reiterate a point about how much power we have together as Democrats um, or as as a pro-democracy movement, not just Democrats, but everybody who is, you know, part of a pro-democracy yep. movement. One thing I learned, I, I learned a lot of lessons um, and I always go back to to them uh, from covering the LGBTQ movement uh, between, you know, the mid aughts when the gay marriage bans came into being and, you know, about 2015, 2016, when uh, when we uh, when same sex marriage became legal. Um, and, you know, we always used to one th one thing that would happen is the LGBTQ community never seemed to have one voice that really spoke for everyone. And there was good reason for that. 
It's because we're LGBTQ. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, the the trans the trans trans folks have like different needs and sort of a different perspective yeah. than gay men do. Gay men of 70 years of age have a different perspective than gay men of, you know, of of 20 20 year olds, you know, um, lesbians have different ideas, different things, you know, that they're looking towards, you know, then there's a whole generation that identifies as queer or non-binary or whatever. It just keeps growing. Right. So there's never there was never legitimately, you know, the human rights campaign was sort of the most known lobby. And frankly, the only organization that had actual lobbyists on the Hill. But but there was never one voice. Right. And that used, I used to see that as a downside. Like where was, you know, um, where was our Al Sharpton when something went wrong or, you know, in that that's the more present day, like you're thinking MLK. Right. But that's obviously a generation ago. Um, and what I realized was eventually that what was much more powerful wasn't having one voice that represented everybody. It was everybody's voice and their ability to affect the people immediately around them by telling their coming out story. So the people of their own religion, the people of their own ethnicity, the people in their immediate family, their friends, neighbors, right? This was a much more powerful lateral movement um, in that way. And so, so, you know, I, I am very encouraged um, by us sort of democratizing how we go about winning these elections, right? The message that you're sending out through the Hopium uh, memos, the message that we can send out through Daily Coast. I, I focus a lot on messaging and how people can talk about the issues because how every one of us talks about the issues matters um, and the the mindset that we take going into that, right? So I, I just, I, I, I found that um, what we're doing now seems very, as a, as a pro-democracy movement coming from different, you know, all different directions, um, you know, from, from the build crystals of the world to, uh, to the, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter movement, you know, yeah. like that whole spectrum, everybody has a voice and everybody can make a difference. Okay, I think you're saying something really important. That is one of the reasons I've changed the way that I'm engaging with politics, which is, you know, I often will tell people in my on my site and in my commentary that stop waiting, you know, for what the DNC is going to do or what Joe Biden's going to do. What are you going to do, right? I mean, what what is your role? What, as a proud patriot lover of your country, you know, I I think that what's happened is that a lot of people feel deeply empowered. We have to create permission structure for people to recognize that the only way we win is if we all do this together, that this isn't any one person's responsibility. It's all of our responsibilities. It's much better if the war room is four million people getting up every day being really loud than 20 kids drinking Red Bulls producing videos, right? And I think that's what's already happened. I mean, I think to a degree that this country, the media and the elites in Washington don't really understand is there's been a citizen revolution in the country or a citizen uprising. It's just happened through electoral means, not through large demonstrations and rallies like you're seeing in you know, Tel Aviv. I think it's also in part because I don't know that people always feel safe any longer because of all the gun violence in the United States. I don't know that our mechanism for protest is going to be in traditional protesting in that way. I think we're going to protest in other ways. And, and I think, yes, it's networked, it's decentralized. That's a much more powerful way 
of this happening than it being top down and being run by anybody. I mean, look, let's just be really honest, right? I mean, Joe Biden was not a field general leading us into this last election. And, you know, I think it's one of the reasons that we did so well. And I don't mean that to be critical of Joe Biden. I mean that people felt that it wasn't going to get done unless they did it. And that's where we are now. And that's a deeply, deeply powerful place than thinking that, well, it's Joe's job or it's Jamie Harrison's job or it's those three people in Washington. They have to go do it. And I think what's happening is people realize, well, you know, I got to do it myself. And you're seeing more and more Americans take meaningful action into their politics. They get more comfortable. I mean, one of the things that was really cool on my new site was that, you know, I was encouraging people to make calls into Wisconsin and there were people writing like I've never made phone calls before and then reporting back like I made calls. It was really fun. Right. And like other people like, OK, I'll do it, too. And so you're seeing this kind of like, you know, this sense that rather than having anxiety and fear, we're channeling that into constructive action and that we are winning and we're powerful and we're strong. And that's why we have to keep getting bigger and expanding and getting stronger, um, which I think we can do. I mean, the, the idea of expansion comes from a position of strength, not a position of weakness. We're in a very strong position right now. And I, Marcos, you know, we've known each other a long time and I don't know that the democratic party has ever been stronger, uh, you know, than it is today, certainly since I've been in the business, we're regularly breaking 50 percent. We're outraising the Republicans by huge margins. Um, you know, we have a huge, incredibly wonderful new generation of political leaders emerging. We're seeing youth activism that is potentially unprecedented in, in you know, 40, 50 years. This is exciting. We're part of a winning team here now, and we have to keep going. Yeah, I would I would add that the Republicans traditional advantage in messaging machine like Fox News has been completely uh, eroded, not just by their own lies and, and you know, the come up and start getting the Dominion lawsuit, but also yeah. in the rise of certain social media that have empowered people to take charge of their own politics, whether it's Twitter or TikTok or um, and. Um, even Democrats, elected officials have responded and now are being aggressive, like when the judge in Texas tried or, you know, invalidated the day after pill nationally, you know, governors across the country, Democratic governors came out and said, yeah, we're not paying attention to that, you know, illegal ruling. Yeah. And so there, there's this, you know, we've come a long way as a party from the safe, rare and legal. Ooh, let's not talk about abortion because it's icky. And let's definitely not talk about you know, Civil unions, not even civil unions. That's crazy talk to where we are today, where Democrats are actually they're feeling that strength that you talk about. And it's taken a while. And yep. I think now after Wisconsin last week, this is the first time I've seen Republicans starting to second guess each other. They've always been so certain about their pr supremacy <laughs> ideologically and, and popularity wise. And it, the numbers never backed them up, but they pretended they're finally starting to to, to sort of doubt themselves. And it's a real weird um, change. So you can find Simon Rosenberg at Hopium Chronicles with Simon Rosenberg on uh, on um, Substack. And, yeah, subscribe. Uh, it's free, by the way. It's free. So just come on over. The water's warm. We've got a cool community, lots of political analysis, live events, fun stuff. And uh, it's been really fun uh, doing all this. I'm just following your footsteps, Marcos, 20 years later. I stayed with the traditional D.C. organization for too long. You innovated and built this incredible world, you know, starting 20 years ago. And, um, you know, now... 
groups like Courier Newsroom and Resolute Square, they're all descendants. They're your children, right? I mean, these are your your kids uh, from you and, you know, having been one of the main innovators and in building a different kind of politics for us. So it's always great to see you. I think some of the work we did together was among the most um and when I look back at my career, the work we did in the early days of blogging was some of the most uh, joyful and, and uh, fun work that I ever did in politics. So I, you know, I'm here whenever you need me. Just invite me back. I'm oh, we will, Simon. Brother in arms. And, yeah, thanks so much. You're very kind, Simon. I appreciate all of that. And I just want to add that we've been talking about this aspirational 55%. If you go to Simon's Substack, he actually lays out numbers and the math on how to get there. So this isn't a made up number that we're just going to randomly hit because we all, you know, made a I few I want to get to 57. No. <laughs> <laughs> he has an actual roadmap on how yeah. to get there. And it's a very achievable roadmap. And it's great yeah. material. So again, that's uh, Hopium Chronicles with Simon Rosenberg on Substack. Simon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Marcos. Bye-bye. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Can I make one final point? Because we were talking yeah. about how the, the democratic movement is sort of feeling its oats right now. And let me say something from sort of a, you know, 30,000 foot view, which which I, I, I enjoy, which is, you know, part of the reason for that is I think that, you know, for the longest time uh, it, since 1992, since Bill Clinton's electoral success, right? The whole idea was to sort of if we can just skim some off of like the natural Republican mm -hmm. base. Right. We're going to try to be a little bit more Christian. We're not going to go full same sex marriage. We're kind of going to go. We're going to try to split the baby with civil unions. Third way. States rights. <laughs> yeah. Third way. We're going to try and find a third way. Right. Like so that was for, you know, almost a solid two decades that that was the conventional wisdom and the prevailing thought among the Democratic Party was that Republicans were really better that, that, than this. And we were just kind of trying to trick some people into voting for us because we, we still believed our, our ideas were better, but we had to sort of mask them with, you know, conservative language so that people would still feel comfortable voting for us. What's happened now, and I think it happened somewhere between, you know, 2016 and 2020, and it, maybe it started in 2018, was that it became clear that Democratic ideas were actually better. They were more popular. Mm -hmm. They were more profound. They were better for everybody. Now, you know, we, we need we need a counterbalance, right? No, no party left to its own devices is perfect. You, you need right. to have a little yeah. bit of a counterbalance. But we're not trying to skim people from like a a a. a conservative or a Republican Party that we think is, you know, better equipped than we are. What what we're actually doing is we're running on the strength of our policies because their policies are absolute crap. Right. Um, and and our policies are better. Our our pro-democracy, our ideals are better. Our, um, you know, the core of our party is better. Um, it's not bankrupt. It's not rotten to the core the way the Republicans are at this point. Um, so I, I think that's part of the reason that Democrats are sort of, you know, feeling this power is that we're, we're not trying to just sort of shroud ourselves a little bit so that people will find us palatable enough to vote for us. This is who we are. 
This is who we are. I, I'm proud about it. I'm proud about it. No, and, and, and yeah. this speaks a lot to the midterm election where people are criticizing Joe Biden for ending the cycle with a speech on democracy. And people are like, oh, people want to hear about the economy. It's the economy, stupid. The economy at the time was record high inflation, high gas prices, and it, that would have played to the Republican strengths, right? And so what the Democrats did is they played, you know, they had a message that was abortion and democracy. Like, we're going to protect your rights and we're going to protect your democracy. And then people can make a decision because Republicans were, yeah, they were talking their usual crazy stuff, but a lot of it was inflation, Biden inflation, they called it. And... Um, People then could make a decision, like, what's more important to me? And this is what's so important about winning the William Crystals and the Sarah Longwell, who former Republican, who's been a frequent guest, guest on your show, your friend, Sarah, who we're not saying, what do you guys want? And we'll change. We'll, we'll do more of what you want. We're not doing that. We're saying we're going to stand for democracy. We're going to stand for for individual rights. Is that more important than the tax cuts that you want? And for the moment, they're saying the tax cuts can wait. <laughs> right, exactly. They're saying democracy is clearly more important. We yes. don't want to be a bunch of fascists. That's what they're saying. That's what they're saying. And this is the beauty of the moment. And there may be a day when, you know, there's a, a, a more um, pro-democracy Republican Party arises, and then we can get back to arguing over tax cuts for billionaires. And, you know, that'll be great. Let's have that argument. Less regulation for businesses or whatever, right? We can have right. those arguments at different time. And so this is what's been so exciting up at this moment. We don't have a Rep Democratic Party that is running away from what it believes in, trying to theoretically pick up a group of people by being little less uh, crazy than, than, you know, the Republicans. Like we're like the, and they used to say that like, okay, we'll cut social security, but not as much as Republicans want to like, no, that, you know, we were like, what are you doing? Like, no, you stand for social security. You stand for what people have earned. And that's where we are as a party. Oh my God. It's such a relief, Carrie. Cause yeah, it, it's, it's made a difference. It's, it's more it's fun. It's such a relief. It's way more fun. You know, winning's more fun. Being who you are. I know this is a queer person is more fun than not being who you are. Like it, you know, it, 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 <laughs> Whoa. it is literally liberating. And that is, I think what this, that's, yeah, that's kind of what Simon Rosenberg is saying. This is, this is liberating. This feels good. It feels like we're hitting our stride. And um, I totally agree with all of that. And, uh, and it makes it why meant to be involved in the movement. Yeah, and which is why suddenly saying, you know what, let's we've gotten pretty good at winning 51. That's not good enough anymore. Let's go to 55. And again, people think, oh, it's just four points. That four points of dif difference between, you know, winning by two points Huge. and maybe losing by two points if you get some big um, – we lost a Senate race in North Carolina that we were winning in the polls because – the two weeks before the election turns out he was sexting some, some woman, you know, and he was married. Yeah. Right. So you're, and yeah, again, you're talking about, you're talking about 2020 now, you're yeah, not 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020, 2020. Mm -hmm. and we lost, you know, by like one or two points. It was like literally a two point shift. If you're, you know, hitting 55, then whatever you win by 53, boohoo, like we won. That's what matters. And so that's where we need to, I love, like you said, it's aspirational, but it's very, very reachable. And again, you can find the details and, Carrie, I assume you're going to be writing about this because this is such good stuff. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. It's so, so it's so good. It's such good stuff. I will definitely be incorporating it uh, in, in my work for sure. 
So it is the Hopium Chronicles with Simon Rosenberg. So I think that's our show for today. Carrie, thank you so much for being, as always, the most amazing co-host. This is so fun. I love I love doing this. This is a highlight of the week. Uh, thanks to Simon Rosenberg. Again, you know, uh, longtime friend and an amazing analyst. You can find him at Hopium Chronicles with Simon Rosenberg. Thanks to Walter for uh, producing and thanks to Paul for helping out behind the scenes. Thanks you, the viewer and the listener and the reader for being part of this amazing movement for our democracy. This is getting fun, guys. This is fun. And next year, let's not try to just win the election. Let's try to get that 55% in all the key states. And uh, and maybe, you know, let's get, you know, let's get North Carolina, like Simon's saying, you know, let's get North Carolina in the blue column. We got a lot of really fun projects to work on. We can actually uh, not just hold the White House, but retake the House and the Senate stuff, but we're going to hold the Senate. So we got a lot of work ahead of us. So thank you so much for being part of that journey. Could not do this without you. You guys are the best. I love you all. Thanks, everybody. Catch you all next week.